Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. We're continuing a series we're calling When Things Go Wrong. And today we're looking at the idea uh, when, when uh, we, and I wanted to title this When God Lets Us Down, but then I realized that's not really it. It's when we think God lets us down. To get the idea, we want to understand, we think sometimes that God's let us down, but I'm hoping by the end of this time together, we're going to get to the place where we realize uh, He is not the one that's letting us down. As we approach this story, we come to a time in the history of Israel where they have, um, they never did remove all the peoples of the land that they were supposed to. God said, go in and, you know, basically cleanse the land. I know that's a very difficult concept, but uh, there's good reason for it. But they needed to move into a place, and they, but they never did what God told them to. And I can only liken it to the idea of how many cancer cells do you want in your body? Zero, exactly. And that's sort of what the situation was, is that those, those peoples were going to corrupt, they were going to destroy, they were going to be, uh, you know, bring bad health to the Israel community because their ways were not God's ways. And so God deals with people differently nowadays, but in those days that was how things had to be dealt with. And, and so they, he wanted to preserve a remnant that would follow him. Anyway, like I say, that's a complicated mess, but just to tell you, uh, just trust in the goodness of God, even when you hear things like that that make you go, uh, what's going on? So the, the problem is they didn't eradicate those peoples that were in the land that were causing problems. And, uh, you know, the, uh, by the way, the Canaanites, who they were supposed to run out of the land, were sacrificing infants in, alive in fire. So just to give you some idea why this is not good for people like that to continue in those ways and to bring that kind of thing to other people. So anyway, um, they, the, the problem is with the, the, the Israelites, they got tired of the fight. And at times they even forsook God. And now they find themselves, listen, fighting battles they should never have had to fight. But we do that too, don't we? We, get, we don't press things all the way through. We don't deal with stuff all the way through. And we end up fighting battles that we uh, shouldn't have to fight. So let's pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 1. But actually, the first little bit there of that verse is really more related to what just happened before, but I'll read it anyway. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now we're going to pick it up where we really are in the story of what we want to deal with today. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites encamped at uh, Ebenezer uh, and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. Field. When the soldiers returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, listen, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord, uh, the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Those are two angelic-looking creatures that are, they were made out of gold, and they're on the top of this wooden box that is the Ark of the Covenant that's covered all in gold. And so you, you, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, probably a pretty good description or depiction of this Ark and how, it was, uh, how big it was and all that, but that's what we're talking about here. And so, um, uh, and Eli's uh, two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there, with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Verse 5, when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Like, uh, you know, when Marshawn Lynch ran that thing, and, you know, they actually had a little mini earthquake in Seattle. Do you remember this? Okay. Uh, anyway. 
So that's what's going on here. It was such a great shout that the ground shook. And it said, upon hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost now 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line, went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting in his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered town and told what had happened, the whole town set up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, What is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so that he could not see. He told Eli, I've just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses, and also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. Now, all that should be enough, don't you think? But then he continues, he says, and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, he died, for he was an old man. He was heavy, and he led Israel for 40 years. So, so Israel loses 4,000 men in this first battle, but, and this should be evidence to them that God is not pleased, and so maybe you should step back and really hear from God here. And so did they return, repent and, and turn to the Lord in that moment or in confession? No, instead, they resort to superstition. They take the ark out in uh, uh, faith because they feel, felt like God had committed to them, uh, you know, to this ark. And they were acting by chance, not by faith at this point. And because the ark in the past had gone out in front of them in the case of Jericho, where they carried the ark out around the wall many times, and the walls fell at that time, they assumed that that's where it was at, that's where the power was at. But they have, things have definitely gone wrong for the Israelites, and they think God's let them down. They think God's let them down. Let's just stop here and pray for a moment, and then we'll continue. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that as we go through this today, that would, re, would we really understand who you are, what you're like, what your nature is. And Lord, help us, because uh, God, there's uh, no doubt every one of us in this room have felt a little bit of this at one time or another, where, where is God in this moment? Why do we feel abandoned? Why do we feel let down? And God, I pray that we'll begin to explore and understand some of the uh, ramifications of this story as it applies to our life, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Hey, uh, just not to embarrass in any way, but our good friend Jill Schroeder is here and her son Jeremy. Um, we, Rhonda and I, when we were in Bible college way back in the 80s, it's a, it seems like a, a century ago, it almost is, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but we uh, actually grew to knew, know Jill and John, her husband, who's not here today. Why didn't he come? Working, likely excuse. Yeah, anyway. No, it's, uh, but you guys had to go to an event or a wedding up in the north, and they stop and buy on their way home. Um, but we, we actually lived with Jill and John for about a year down there, or a little less than a year. Huh? Yeah, it was fun. It was a great time. We played cards all the time. And I promise, Jill, I won't tell the cat food story. I promise I won't mention that. <laughs> I knew that would get up. If you want to ask me later, I'll tell you about it. But no. 
Anyway, but no, what a, what a blessing they have been and uh, just in our lives, and we're, we're grateful that you're here today, good friends. Um, so, uh, my Saturday was going great until I realized it was Sunday. <laughs> Somehow I lost the day this week. Rhonda and I went over to Puyallup yesterday morning early for our granddaughter Evie's first birthday. Uh, what a, oh, she is such a cutie. I mean, I'm sorry but we just have the cutest granddaughter. I just, you know, I know. <laughs> it's just the way it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was a great time to see our, uh, you know, a couple of our boys and our, our daughter-in-law and then our grandchildren. And we decided to stay last night for the Saturday night service, which is at 6 p.m. in Puyallup. And, and uh, so we stayed for the service, and we didn't get home till way past my bedtime. Um, and uh, so when I woke up this morning, I felt like I'd lost a whole day. And as I prepared... As prepared as I thought I was coming into today to the message, I woke up in kind of a cold sweat this morning because I all of a sudden I had some some different thoughts that came to my mind about this message, and I, I got up and and I started rewriting it. And I, Rhonda came out, and I was still in my pajamas when we were time to leave. And I said, "You're going to have to go without me. I'm doing surgery on my sermon." And so, uh, and so there were some different thoughts that I had that I felt were were more appropriate to what the Lord wanted to say to us today, but. But uh, anyway, so, so I hope it comes out right, and I hope you come away today with something that helps. Preaching is, is really a weird thing. Um, sometimes I feel like I totally bomb, and I'll walk down dejected, feeling like I really messed up, you know, I just like whiffed completely. And I'll get down there, and five or six people will come up to me and say, Pastor Sal, thank you. That was such a powerful message today. It really spoke to my heart. I'm thinking, really? <laughs> really? And then there's times I'll be up here and I'll be preaching my guts out and I'll feel like, man, I'm just like, I'm on all cylinders today. This is so good. You know, I'm just like, I'm amazed they're not just, you know, uh, shouting for joy here. And I'll come down and, and nobody will say a word to me. Even my wife, who I've told, I don't care if I bomb or not, come and tell me I did a good job. That's just your, your job. You got one job at the end of the church every day is come up and tell me I did a great job preaching because I'm just so insecure about this. I really need a little bit of love there. But, and so even my wife was just like, not, not so impressed. It's a weird thing, preaching. And there's more to pastoring than just preaching. I, I hope you know that Rhonda and I are available to help in any way we can at any time. One night my phone rang at 3 a.m. and on the other end was an elderly lady. She said, Pastor, I can't sleep. I told her, well, I'm so sorry to hear that, but what can I do about it? And she said, well, will you just preach to me? <laughs> nah, that didn't really happen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do hope nobody falls asleep today, okay, for sure. I want to talk about false walls today. Um, it may sound like a really weird segue, but, but bear with me for a moment. Uh, people have found all kinds of weird things behind walls that shouldn't have been there, if you catch what I'm saying. I recently read about a contractor who found uh, it was $180,000 worth of money that was after, uh, after, the 1920, after the Great Depression, so the bills were probably from the 30s and 40s, and they were in a couple of boxes and inside some envelopes, and they had a name on the outside of them, but he, he's doing a bathroom remodel. He, he finds a false wall that has been built. He opens it up, and sure enough, inside is $180,000, and some of the value of that money was not just the cash itself, but the age of these bills. There was some, some extra uh, value in that, and so... Uh, so, being a good person, a moral person, he shared this news with the homeowner. 
good man, right? Because he could have just picked it up and walked. Nobody would have known. And so he didn't do that. So he shares the news with the homeowner. Well, she gets involved and thinks, well, it's my house, my money, and she offered him a little 10% finder's fee. Well, he got upset about that. They go to court over it, start battling. The, the word gets out in the community. The family of the guy who hid the money find out about it. Right? Then they go to court and battle for the money. When it was all said and done, neither the homeowner nor the contractor got very little at all. They just got a little tiny bit. It's like, oh, man, but, this, like, but just think about it. After all those years, that money was right there behind that wall. And the wall, the, the false wall, if you will, had kept them from accessing what was there. See, see we're going to tear down this week and next. We're going to tear down some false walls. And, uh, but, and sometimes we, we think about walls as being, we always think about walls generally as like that's something the enemy has done. Like he's keeping me from God's promise. And that is so true. But can I tell you, and this is, this is more what we're going to be addressing in the next two weeks, is some of the false walls that we have are ones that we've built ourselves. They need to be torn down so that we can access what's behind the wall and get a hold of what God has for us. So here's the first wall we're going to talk about today. The first false wall is false, false accusation. False accusation. Again, I don't think there's a one of us here in this room that's known the Lord for any time at all that wouldn't at some time admit that you've kind of felt left let down by God, right? Is that fair to say? I remember when our son Andrew was first born, um, we were just, you know, first time parents, we're so excited, and the first, uh, they, the baby comes out, it was a, had to be a C-section, was a section which was already a disappointment to us, because we were hoping, you know, it wouldn't have to come to that, but Ron had labored a really long time, baby comes out, and I didn't know how this was all supposed to work. It's a C-section. It's not like a normal thing. So I'm behind a, a curtain. I can't see. Ron, I'm with Rhonda up here. They get the baby out, say it's a boy, but the next thing I know, the baby's out of the room. And I thought to myself, well, I've never done this before, you know, but that didn't seem quite right to me. Something was troubling me about that. I felt like they would at least show us the baby, but they didn't. And they whisked the baby out of the room. So, so we, we just stayed and talked, and, and she was getting uh, fixed up and everything. And all of a sudden, the doctor comes back in and asks if, he can come, if I can come out in the hall with him. I walk out in the hall, and I, you know, I like to punch him in the nose for this, but the first words out of his mouth are, we have a problem. Right? You know, I didn't really want to punch him. But I mean, I was like, ah, oh, it, it felt like a punch to my gut. We have a problem? I, didn't we already have a problem? Like, wasn't that enough? But, but sure enough, there was an issue where uh, Andrew had to be airlifted to Seattle Children's Hospital. Um, he had a, a problem where his intestines had looped out into his umbilical cord. He could have died if he'd have been born uh, through the, the birth canal. I mean, and, and so, you know, so I'm, I'm, here's my wife, and, and now I have this new child, and all of a sudden I'm in love with this guy. I didn't even know, you know, I could love him yet, but there he is. And I couldn't, do, I couldn't figure out what to do, and I decided to go with my son. I don't know, maybe that was the wrong decision, but I'm in the, so I'm in this airlift plane with, flying with him to Seattle, and the whole time I'm like, I, I, I couldn't hardly pray, because I felt like God had let us down. But I want to tell you something, when you're feeling like God has let you down, just let's double check a little bit. Let's double check, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that that's not what God is about. He isn't about letting us down. He really isn't. The Israelites go to war and they're defeated in battle. They come to the conclusion, God is not with them. God's let them down. And they say that God is, they're really saying God is bringing their defeat. It's his fault. And in fact, they say that in verse 3. Why did the Lord bring defeat on us? Why did God bring defeat? 
God didn't bring defeat. You brought it on yourselves with your sin. You didn't do what God told you to do. They're raising this false accusation against God. They believe God has let them down. And so, uh, you know, I've heard of people, I've heard of some of you, I've probably said it myself at one time, I've heard teachers and leaders, I've heard people say things like this, and I don't want you to feel bad if you've said it, because we can deal with it, but I've, I've heard people say, I got so angry with God. I got so angry with God. Now, first of all, I'm just going to say, if you've ever done that, um, God's big enough, he can handle it. He's not, he's not going to like, oh, they're angry with me. Oh, no, what shall I do? <laughs> you know, that's, that's not what's going to happen. But I just want to suggest to you that if you've been angry with God, uh, that your anger is misplaced. And, it, and really, it doesn't do you any good to have anger with God because he is not to blame. So I'm going to say if you have to be angry, direct your anger toward the proper places because we waste our time really being angry with God. As, as they say, the two best times to keep your mouth shut are when you're swimming and when you're angry. Some truth in that, right? Aaron was teaching our youth at Reach this week about Job and what Job went through and, and how it was so difficult for him and, uh, you know, going through all that. And we, so we had this great conversation afterwards with the young people, the, our teens, and they were, we were walk, walking through the idea of suffering and what do we do in situations of suffering. Now, I don't believe for a minute that every bit of suffering that we encounter in life is because we have sinned, but this is what I do believe, it is because of sin, Right? Because I'm going to tell you, in the Garden of Eden, there was no suffering. Adam and Eve are naked. They're walking around. Life is good, right? They're eating anything they want from trees. We don't even know how many years that went on. The Bible makes it seem like it was just like, well, the next thing you know, they're... But I imagine they, for years, were like, wow, this is exploring, looking at new plants, new animals, loving it. And then all of a sudden, one day, they go to the wrong place. And ever since then, suffering entered the planet. But before that, it wasn't. And can I tell you, as we said a couple weeks ago, I think, uh, you know, at the end of it all, when we leave this planet, we will say goodbye to suffering as well. So when God's in charge, suffering isn't taking place. And, uh, but where, where human intervention got involved and sin took over, that's when suffering came. And so, because of, so it may not be because of our sin directly that we're there suffering or things go wrong, but because of original sin, that's opened a door to the enemy and his work. Now, there is a time for anger, and in fact, the Bible says it this way, in your anger, presuming that there is a place for anger, then it says, do not sin, okay? So, so it's not, I'm not saying that all anger is misplaced, but it's, but it's getting that anger to be placed in the right thing and, or in the right uh, way. You know, um, anger is a helpful emotion in the sense that if, you, if any of us were walking down the street or in a store and we saw a stranger attacking a little child or something like that, uh, we're going to have to react, right? We're all, I think everybody in this room, you know, even putting our own lives at risk, seeing something so horrible take place, we would jump in and do what we could. But, but if, I'm going to tell you, there's a good chance that if you don't have some holy anger rise up in you, some, some righteous anger to uh, go to that situation, I don't think you're going to go up and say, hey, um, could I suggest that you don't, you know what I'm saying? Right? So that kind of anger is good, isn't it? And it's helpful in the right moments. I don't think you can deal with some of the evil that's in the world without righteous anger. So it's good. And so, so 
the fact with the Israelites is not that God had let them down, but it was their own sin and the sin of their current and past leaders that had separated them from God and, their, and His blessings. There's really two types of sin uh, that, that exist. One, there's sins of doing something that we should not do, and then there's a sin of not doing something we ought to be doing. Does that make sense? There's sins of commission, which is, if you look at the sons of, of Eli, his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were these wicked guys. They're treating the offerings of the Lord with contempt. They're uh, having extramarital sex with the women who are coming to the, uh, t- to the tabernacle, and they were serving there. And, um, and then there's the sins of omission. We read that Eli, knowing that his sons were doing wrong, uh, you know, expresses his disappointment, but he really doesn't pursue it, and he doesn't really restrain them, the Bible says. He doesn't restrain them. And it's, you know, so he's omission of sin, or sins of omission in his case. And sins of commission are easier for us to identify in our lives. We know we did something wrong. We either know because we know God's word or the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and say, you, you messed up there, right? And we get that. But the sins of, of uh, omission are harder for us to identify because uh, we, we should be faithful in some area, but we're finding ourselves to be faithless. But I love the verse in Timothy that says, even when we're faithless, guess what? God is faithful, okay? So again, you know, we're messing up, but God's still faithful in the midst of all that. So we feel that God has let us down. If, and, and when we feel that, if there's anger that needs to come about, we must direct our anger at the enemy or at our own sin. And when you come right down to it, how does it make sense to be angry at the only one who can actually help us? Like, like if you go, um, let's say you go into a bank and you need a loan from them, and you walk in the door, and you start screaming and yelling and saying what a bunch of corrupt losers they are, and how, you know, all they care about, you know, and you go off, and you're screaming and yelling, do you think they're going to sit down with you and write you alone? Now, I'm not saying God is petty like that. He is not. But you understand that sometimes we're, we're barking up the wrong tree, as you'd say, right? We've been singing a new song lately called Good Grace. It goes like this, so don't let your heart be troubled hold your head up high don't fear no evil i know that's a double negative just sing the song and enjoy it don't fear no evil fix your eyes on this one truth god is madly in love with you so take courage hold on be strong remember where your help comes from remember everybody's going off now Remember, remember where your help comes from. Remember. The psalmist says in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. So there's a proper place for some forms of anger. Be angry with the enemy, be angry with sin, uh, both your own sin and the sin that others commit. Listen. Don't be angry at the people that commit sin. That's what's gotten the church in so much trouble in our society. When we, take, we get an angry stand against people instead of against sin. We love people. You, you got some sinners? Bring them to church. Like, we're going to love them here. We're going to love people here. We're not angry with anybody, but I'll tell you what we are. is We are angry with sin because we know it's corrupting them, it's killing them, it's destroying them. And we'll send them to eternity without God if they don't repent of it. So, so we've got to figure out a way to show the love of God. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Right? Isn't it God's kindness that brings us to repentance? Isn't that what the Bible says? 
So we got to learn to be kind people. But man, I'm telling you, when it comes to sin, we ought to be on our knees fighting against the enemy and tearing down those false walls of accusation that God is at fault in all these things. we got to get after it. We're also going after the wall of false hope. Our second point today and last. So the Israelites get a great idea. Hey, we were defeated in the first battle. i got a great idea. If they could have, they'd like to go back in time and slap the guy that suggested this. But he said, let's bring out the Ark of the Covenant. Now, again, the Ark is this box, you know, probably about that big. And has, it's all gold and it's covered. And, and it became uh, symbolic, but not just symbolic. In reality, as they built it and put it in the tent, of, which was the tabernacle, we know that then all of a sudden it just says that the, the cloud that was following them by day and the fire, column of fire by night of the Israelites, it moved and it just set up right over that box because it represented the, the, the judgment and the mercy of God both at once at that spot. It was such an amazing thing especially the mercy of God. That was called the mercy seat where they would take the blood of the lamb, put it on that. And so that ark was so special in the presence of God and, and only once a year would, the, would a priest get to go in that room where that ark was. And, but, but there were other times when the presence lifted and, and the presence would lead them on their way, the presence of God. And so the, they would put the ark on their shoulders and carry it. They'd carry it to the next location wherever it was. And so this is, this is how they got it. And, and they, they've had some experiences where the ark has been used, you know, in times, when brought out in times of war. And so, so this is where we make mistakes. We start thinking, well, we did it that way. Let's, let's do that again. So hundreds of years later, they get the ark out and they start screaming their brains out. A little earthquake happens. And first we think, that's working. That's cool. Yell louder, right? But the Philistines were afraid, but it... But what it did is it backed their backs against the wall and they said, we're going to die anyway. We may as well go after this with everything we got. And so they came out, guns ablazing, so to speak, and went after the... And so Asaph is a, a psalmist and he writes about this in the Psalms. It'll be up on the screen. And this is what he says as he recounts what had happened in the past. He said, but they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep His statutes. That's another way of saying they sinned. And in verse 60, he abandoned the tabernacle of Shiloh the tent that he had set up among humans. He sent the ark of his might into captivity, his splendor into the hands of the enemy. He gave his people over to the sword. He was furious with his inheritance. Fire consumed their young men, and their young women had no wedding songs. Their priests were put to the sword, and their widows could not weep. And so there's this lament that's being raised up that, wow, we messed up big time with this whole ark thing. The fact is, we have no record that they even bothered to ask God, should we bring the ark into battle? Obviously, they did not, because God would have said no. That isn't what that's about. You see, in the past, God had told them to bring out the ark, but this time they didn't bother to ask God. And so what they did, and this is what we do sometimes, is they began to put their hope in the wrong thing. They were putting their hope in the God in a box. Catching what I'm saying here? See, see, they were thinking, well, that's, that, that box represents God. That's our God. So they're bringing out this relic, if you will, and thinking this is where their power is. But God will not be reduced to any kind of box. I'm going to tell you right now. Whether a physical one, as in their case, or ones that we make up in our minds about Him. Now, some people would say, oh, healing is not for today, you know? You know, yeah, Jesus healed and some in the early church healed, but that was just to get the ball rolling for the church and now we should not expect healing today. 
well, you just built a box and put God in it. I'm going to tell you, a, a young woman came to me last night and said, God healed me. I wasn't expecting it, but God healed me. And God is healing today. And some would say, well, you know, there's no need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit any longer. That was, again, an early church thing. There, 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 there's certainly no speaking in tongues. Nobody would, you know, that's just crazy talk. Yeah, it is, but I'm going to tell you something. Don't put God in that box. Because I speak in tongues a lot. And I'm not a weirdo. Well, but, but, but it's you, just any time we're limiting God by our experience or our perception, we're trying to put God in a box, and He won't have it. I'll tell you right now, He just won't have it. So the Israelites, like the Israelites, we skip right past asking God what we should do, and we just go out and make some assumptions and some plans, Right? And then we ask God to bless what we're doing rather than asking God what He's blessing and go do that. There's a big difference. So they ask, well, why did God let us down? They didn't even wait for the answer. They really just tried to solve things for themselves and they go after the ark as basically a good luck charm. They had put their hope, listen, in an object instead of trusting in God. And God will not be reduced to a good luck charm or a talisman of some sort. He will not. Even today, and I don't say this to, to be uh, picking on people, but I just want to clarify these things. And I just say that some people put their, their hope and their trust in things, in traditions that are, rely heavily on metals that they wear or, or certain objects they wear around or beads or different kinds of um, uh, little statues that they have in their homes to remind them of, of ho holy people that have lived in the past and things like that. And... and uh, and they lean heavily on these things as if there was power in them. And I, I can understand that there's some things that might be good to help us remind us of certain things that we want to remember. But if we start putting our trust in the objects rather than the God, right, that's when we've missed it. And, and, and you know, and certainly, when, you know, I was asked years ago by a family member <clears throat> if I believed in the saints and talking about the saints of the Roman Catholic Church. And I said, I, wanted, I was respectful in my answer. <clears throat> I did a good job. But I wanted to say, I absolutely believe in the saints, and I am one. <laughs> right? Because that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the New Testament teaches. If you know the Lord, you are a holy person. That's what a saint is. And whether or not your actions are exactly up to snuff, which they're never completely, you know, none of us are perfect. But, but, but even so, that's how God views you. You're a holy person. You're a saint. I won't have you introduce yourself as saint to each other. That's okay. But, but you get the idea. So yes, I believe in the saints, but they're not, I'm not going to uh, have us put our trust in dead people and their statues who can't do anything for us now. But God can. And it doesn't hurt us to admire great people of the past. Oh man, I admire lots of people for the good things that they've done. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you start relying on objects rather than the living God, You've missed it, and you have false, false hope. You're putting your hope in something that can't help you. <clears throat> Anything we lean on for hope besides God himself will always fail us, I promise you. Many have hoped in finances. They, you know, here in America, that's something we can kind of do sometimes. And in the early part of the last century, people were relying on the banks. They were relying on finances. And then something called the Great Depression comes along. You know, I don't think there's anybody here a lot, you know, in this room that lived through that but my mother did as a child. She remembers what that was like when you, could, you only got rations and, and different things. You, you know, she was on the tail end of that. 
And, and I've heard descriptions, and I'll tell you, we're, we should be wise, all of us wise, in saving for the future and planning for retirement, but we cannot put our hope in money. Right? You start thinking, I'm going to be good when, I, you know, when I'm done. Yeah, I got a nice nest egg. I'm going to be okay. Listen, you don't know. Why hope in something like that? Why put your hope there? Be wise, do the right thing, but at the end of the day, put your hope in God and God alone. We can trust Him. We can trust Him. I don't know what the future will be like for us, but we have to put our trust in God and not in other things. Worship team, come on back up. So we tear down today the wall of false hope in Jesus' name. Amen? We're not going to accuse God falsely. That's a wall that's keeping us from what God has, and we're not going to allow false hope to get in the way of our inheritance with God. Are you with me on that? So when things go wrong, we would do well, first of all, as I said earlier, to examine our own lives and see if we've been directing our anger at, at God, toward God, or if, in the second case, we've been trusting in things or systems in place of God. Trusting in the wrong things will let us down. So let us remove the falseness in our lives. Let's get rid of false accusations and false hope. Next week, we're going to talk about false understandings and false gods. You think, well, I'm not an idol worshiper. Uh, I think we all dip our toes in the pool of idol worship without even realizing it. What is an idol? It's just something, man, can, can our TVs be an idol? I think so. Can our, our love of a sports team be an idol? I think so sometimes. Right? There's so many things. So, so that's putting other gods before them. It's something you trust in or you take more delight in than you take in God. I'm not saying these things are necessarily bad. I'm just saying we got it. So we're going to deal with that next week. May all the false walls come down in Jesus' name. Amen? And when they've all fallen, I, I'll tell you something. We're going to be standing firm. We're going to be standing in Jesus' name. Let's stand right now. Even when we may for a moment think that God has let us down, I promise you that He has not and He will not. He said, and this is multiple times, it's in the Old Testament and it's repeated multiple times in the New Testament. It's like God's trying to get this across. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It'll never happen. He also says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who could be against us? That's the God we're serving. He's not against us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.